Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hi, and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode number 198. I'm your host, Valerie George, and joining me today is my co-host, Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. Are you excited for today's show? I am. We've got lots of questions today. Are are you excited about the show? I am. We're going to do something a little different today. The audience knows how much I love audio questions. So today we're going to do a show featuring all questions by people who submitted them through audio. Oh, that is awesome. Love Love to hear the audio questions. So what do we got on the show today? Today, we had a question about Lucas's pawpaw ointment. We'll see what that's about. What the heck does the term cosmeceutical mean? Does nail polish increase nail growth? What's the deal about copper peptides? And shikakai, does it belong in your hair? I don't <laughs> even know if like I said some... that right. <laughs> ah, uh, uh, well, we'll hear how it sounds on the audio. <laughs> well, hopefully they'll pronounce it correctly. So... I, I do want to apologize in advance if you hear any background noise. I am home alone with my dogs. I don't know if um, everyone knows this, but my uh, one dog had cancer. He's doing much better uh, through treatment and surgery and stuff. And I I forgot how annoying he is when he feels his best. <laughs> so he's an absolute oh, wow. savage running around in the background. So so every so often we'll hear the uh, nails clicking on the The nails floor there, clicking, right? him crying. Yeah, he's ultra needy today. Ah, well, that's all right. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he'll sit and listen to our wonderful show. <laughs> and think, that's mommy. Yeah. I, I saw you had some snow in Chicago this week. Well, you know, we just had Halloween, which was lots of fun, Halloween. I did go to a Halloween uh, costume party, and I dressed up as a magician just so I could do these magic tricks that I always <laughs> It's so dorky, but I was <laughs> it enjoying is, it. Yeah. Yes, but here in Chicago we had snow on Halloween, so now I have this big bucket of candy left that I was gonna hand out, but now I've just been eating. So. Yeah, that's the way to do it's, it. Keep a bunch for yourself. In Los Angeles, we don't exactly have winter, but we have wildfire season, so that was in full effect this week. So I've been hiding a bit indoors. That's right. Do you do anything special for your skin to prevent the pollution from the wildfire? No. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, you don't have to. It's okay. Um, I, I mean, when people think of, uh, you know, skincare and, and big cities, they're thinking anti-pollution, protecting the skin with a film. Most people aren't thinking, is your city burning down? What kind of protection do you have for that? I mean, maybe that's a white space in the market and I could create my own line. I, I think there is an opportunity there. <laughs> oh, so sad. Uh, well, it is under control, and kudos to the Los Angeles Fire Department uh, for working so diligently to put it out. I it's, it's a really rough time, and people did lose their homes, all joking aside. Uh, so hopefully um, they can have some assistance to get taken care of uh, this holiday season as we go into it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I did want to make a correction from a few episodes ago where we were talking about sunscreen efficacy, 
And I did state uh, verbally on the podcast that in the United States, when they measure sunscreen efficacy, they take two grams per centimeter squared for a sunscreen application. And I did misspeak on the units. It's two milligrams per centimeter squared. Uh, ah. The reverse is a lot of product. And uh, so I do apologize. I, I wanted to thank our loyal listener for pointing that out. Uh, there is nothing new. That is the method. I just uh, made an error. It's it's really hard when we're when we're doing this and we're talking and our minds are so far ahead of our mouths. We do make, you know, mistakes from time to time, and we thank everyone for uh, letting us know when we do make them and don't catch them, so that we can make the correction. Yeah, we cover a lot of topics on this show, and you know it. We can't always be perfect, but when we find out that something is mistaken, we'll be happy to correct the record. So there you go. Two milligrams per centimeter square, not two grams per centimeter square. And there's nothing pedantic about that at all. Yeah. Well, let's cover some of this week's beauty industry news. So I was browsing cosmopolitan.com. And <laughs> they, they still publish? Yeah, I used to read the magazine in line at the checkout store when I was in high school and just laugh at all the sexual articles. Yeah. I, I, you never actually bought the thing, right? <laughs> no, I think I have. Yeah. Uh, but oh, okay. my, my friends and I used to get it and we would just laugh at all the sexual stuff in it because we were immature high schoolers. But uh, they did have an article that got posted entitled How to Get Rid of a Hickey. Seven easy hacks that actually work. And I was just laughing wow. through this because A, I'm I'm extremely past my my hickey stage. I actually don't think I ever had one, but I, I feel like I'm beyond those years. Uh and just some of the, the tips were interesting. Well, it, so a hickey is what like a I I'm not terribly familiar with like the medical piece but is it like a coagulation of blood at the surface of your skin yeah basically you're providing uh suction on the skin with your mouth and you're suctioning blood uh, up to the surface through broken capillaries and stuff like that so yeah it comes up from the dermis up through and then break a capillary and a little yeah exactly it's it's like a bruise so gotcha uh there were seven tips and i actually only really agreed with two of them so i'll let the audience (laughs) uh take a guess which those are so the first one was reduce the swelling with a cold spoon great tip coldness actually reduces swelling much like when you have a sports injury and you want to prevent swelling and your immune response from proceeding to that area and creating more swelling so if you do this immediately after the hickey, it's a great tip. So make sure uh, when you're making out with your boyfriend uh, that you keep a cold spoon in your purse. What kind of boyfriend has like uh, industrial sized suction? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I've always you're wondered get... how some of those hickeys were made that I've seen. It's swelling. Maybe some okay. people bruise easily. I don't know. Uh, the second tip, speed up the healing process with aloe vera. I looked up some studies because I was surprised that aloe vera could be part of healing bruises. I know that there are some studies granted with mixed results showing that aloe vera can assist healing of wounds from burns, uh, but indeed no studies exist showing that aloe vera helps get rid of bruises. Third, I think you that I think I've seen aloe vera can do everything. <laughs> it can balance your checkbook for you. <laughs> that'd be that'd be nice. Third. <laughs> Soothe your skin with the banana peel. The recommendation behind, (laughs) 
I know, it's absurd. The recommendation behind this was that bananas are loaded with vitamins and antioxidants, so it has to be a good thing to rub the inside of a banana peel on your skin. Which makes you wonder why you don't eat the peel. But <laughs> if it's so loaded... I be mean... careful, all those pesticides on the peel. Don't, don't use uh, oh, the right. exterior. The fourth tip was that's promote right. circulation with a warm compress. Now, this is actually helpful, but it's only helpful once the bruise has stopped forming. So when you have a bruise, you want to put cold on it. And then once the bruise is, I guess, call it set up, you can put a warm compress on it to help uh, spread out the initial breathing and dissipate any clots that have formed. I actually also confirmed this on some sports medicine websites, making out as a sport. I'm just kidding. They didn't cover that, but just (laughs) sports medicine. Fifth tip, apply a vitamin C cream. Vitamin C does nothing for bruises, and the article did actually say don't expect a miracle, so ignore tip number five. I'm surprised it didn't say, like, put an orange on the side of your neck or something. (laughs) Squeeze orange juice on. Shower in orange juice. Uh, Tip number six, eat vitamin K-rich foods like kale, broccoli, and spinach. The article says that vitamin K helps the body absorb clots of pooled blood. That's not actually how vitamin K works with the blood clotting system. Uh, Vitamin K does aid in clotting, but not to dissipate uh, hickey clots. You'd probably (laughs) be better than eating vitamin K uh, to use a topical vitamin K cream at the site of the bruising, uh, since the body does not readily store lots of vitamin K. So presumably from your diet, vitamin K is a fat-soluble vitamin. You'd have to take it with fatty foods anyway. And the body just doesn't store a lot. It actually recycles a lot of it. So Instead of eating vitamin K-rich foods, which are good for you anyway, you should eat them, uh, to get rid of the hickey, I personally would recommend a vitamin K cream if that worked. And lastly... You know, you know that, that, that does spark an idea in my mind of a new product. You can call it Hickey Away. <laughs> and then marketing brings out the cane and reels you in off stage. <laughs> that's actually that's actually a good one. Uh, tip number seven, promote blood circulation with a toothbrush. So this method is actually when the hickey is formed and you're like, oh, shoot, what do I do? Um, they recommend to take a toothbrush, massage the bruise, and that forces the clots to break up and allows the blood to dispel. Ah, yeah. All right. Well, and there, uh, there weren't any tips on how to cover hickeys up. So I, I don't really think you can heal them. This was a funny article. Um, but you're probably best just to do the old fashioned thing and wear a turtleneck or put some foundation on it. You know, I'm, I try to give my wife a hickey all the time and she never likes that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people want them. Maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> probably not. You know what people also don't want? Products that tell you that they're anti-aging when they're really not. <laughs> so pretty much every anti-aging product. Yeah. That brings me to the story that caught my interest. It was a story about whether... Anti-aging products are going to become illegal. Wow, illegal like like a criminal offense? Well, yeah, like they can't sell them on the market anymore. It turns out that there's right now uh, in your fine state of California, actually it's been moved out to uh, the federal level on the uh, District 9 or whatever, but that incorporates California. So there, there are a couple of lawsuits making their way through the courts that could have a big impact on the cosmetic industry. L'Oreal is being sued by a plaintiff who says that their Revitalift product makes unlawful drug claims. And Beiersdorf, they've actually been under a, a case for uh, about five years now against their Nivea Skin Firming Hydration Body Lotion. 
the lawsuits are trying to get a ruling on whether these companies uh, are allowed to make claims like skin firming and anti-wrinkle because the products are marketed as cosmetics. Well, they're not wrong. <laughs> right. Well, as far as the way that the law is written, uh, yeah, it seems like they're not wrong. Now, right now, what's going on with the cases is that the, the companies are trying to get them dismissed because on the grounds that the plaintiffs don't really have standing. Uh, this is something that the FDA is supposed to be doing. And they note that the FDA hasn't done anything to stop the companies from making these claims. And so the companies just figure, well, if the FDA is not stopping us, then we're able to do this. So these plaintiffs are trying to uh, force the FDA to do something or force the courts to say for the FDA to do something. Well, the FDA really shouldn't be stepping in there. Their FDA's responsibility is to make sure that products are safe on the market. This is really related to L'Oreal and Beiersdorf and other companies, nearly every company, they're claiming their products do something that they're not doing. And I really think that's an advertising or um, or FTC type violation, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. It, the FDA comes in because the suggestion of what they're claiming about the products would make the products drugs. Oh, correct. And in right. that case... In that case, that would make it an FDA thing. Um, but I think the FTC could be involved as well, right? Right. On the claim side, the FTC would get involved there too. Now, incidentally, there is a way for companies to get drug products like these on the market. There's a thing called the NDA process. That's called a new drug application. Uh, it's just that companies don't want to do it because it's costly and it's time-consuming and uh, so if, if a company doesn't have to do an NDA, they would much rather sell something as a cosmetic. And I think the new drug application process might also involve clinical trials, potentially animal testing, right? Oh, yeah, Not great absolutely. for cosmetics. All of that stuff. That's, that's, that's why they don't do it. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, this, this case could, you know, if it, if it rules on the side of the plaintiffs, this would make it where companies like L'Oreal and Nivea and other, you know, everyone else who makes anti-aging claims, they won't be able to make those claims anymore. I suppose it wouldn't affect the products that much because right now the products are much more claims and, and they really couch their claims by saying it changes the appearance of wrinkles or anti-aging and they keep the claims vague. Uh, whereas this this company's trying to say if if they make more specific claims, uh, then the, the then the products are illegal. Well, I for one am all about transparency and not misleading the consumer. I do work for a large corporation by day, and I'm in R and D. And just by that fact alone, um, I'm supposed to have some conflict with marketing. Because generally, marketing wants to say as many things as possible. And us scientists, you know, if the product doesn't do it, we don't want to say it. We're typically very literal people. And uh, I'm really glad to see regulation like this come into place. But I think instead of the companies being forced to do it, they should just on their own say, you know what, we're not going to say the product does something it doesn't do. But I don't sell products, so... Um, I guess that's probably not a good marketing tactic, but wow, really mind-blowing. Yeah, we'll see where that one goes. All right, let's move on to our audio questions. Hi, Beauty Brains. This is Sarah. I'm calling you from Mauritius at present, but I live in the UK and I'm also an Australian citizen. I'm calling you about a quintessential Australian product. 
uh, Lucas's paw paw ointment. Uh, it's kind of seems to have taken the rest of the world by storm now, but it's long been held, you know, in Australia as one of these ingredients that you just put on anything. It's almost like that, that home remedy where you just ask your mom, what should I do? And you put, uh, you put Lucas's paw paw ointment on it. You put it on dry skin or cuts or any, anything you can really think of that involves your skin. Um, and I'm, when you actually look at the ingredients, to me, it seems that it's mainly just a petroleum jelly product, some petroleum jelly and beeswax. And I can't really tell being, not being a chemist, whether or not the pawpaw is at, you know, significant levels and whether or not there is any research to back up that pawpaw has some sort of special uh, power above and beyond perhaps petroleum jelly. So I'd be really curious to hear a chemist's take on Lucas's pawpaw ointment, since it does seem to be a, a beauty trend that's spreading. Uh, thanks. Love your show. Bye. Thank you so much for that, Sarah. Uh, so I looked into this product a bit more, and uh, the Lucas's Paw Paw ointment does appear pretty much to be a glorified version of Vaseline, which means that it's mostly petroleum jelly, or better known as petrolatum. Um, it really bugs me that, you know, I was looking at this, and it I saw a bunch of articles that were critical of this product, and they were writing about it, and they kept saying that the product had petroleum in it. And I'm like, this product does not have petroleum in it. Petroleum is not the same thing as petrolatum. There are no cosmetic products out there that use petroleum because it's not a thing you put on your body. Oh, let me just add the secret ingredient, jet fuel, into my cosmetics. <laughs> the product, that the ingredient is called petrolatum. It is not petroleum. Petrolatum is a perfectly safe ingredient that is used in many topical medicines and cosmetics. In fact, uh, petrolatum is uh, one of these approved drugs for, uh, I, f I forget what the uh, drug it is approved for. It's a topical, you know, part of wound healing kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah, you know, if a more professional uh, podcaster would l have looked that up before the show, but <laughs> I just, I just don't. Anyway, petrolatum is a perfectly safe ingredient, and in fact, it is actually the gold standard when it comes to preventing transepidermal water loss. And so when I see this blog post saying petrolatum is bad for your skin, I mean, it's it's just not, people. That's this, that's complete, completely wrong and made up. Can I make a cosmetic chemist confession? Sure, sure. When I traveled last week, I came back to California and my lips were so dry because it was so dry and windy here and from traveling and blah, blah, blah. I could not find any of my chapsticks or lip balms or whatever, not sure, a single sure. one. And for two days, I was extremely desperate and I thought I oh. have to get something on my lips. So we kind of got a raw material sample in of some... <laughs> Petrolatum, Snow White, uh, USP, and it was a oh, brand new sample, stuff. not one that I dipped sure. out of, and I took it and just applied it 100% to my lips <laughs> all day. <laughs> I felt so bad, but I was so desperate. Well, as, you, as you've discovered, it works. I mean, it's not the nicest feeling on your lips, and that's why we have formulators to make things like that feel better, but the stuff works. <laughs> Well, I looked at the composition of this product, and the company makes this claim uh, that it's 39 milligrams per gram of this fermented pawpaw, and pawpaw is uh, the way New Zealanders call uh, papaya extract, I think. Oh, it's not their grandpa? No, no, not their grandpa. <laughs> extract of Grandpa Lucas. No, it's, it's not that. 
So uh, what people have taken that to mean, though, they said there's 39 milligrams per gram of this fermented stuff. So they take that to mean that's 4% of the product is fermented pawpaw, while 96% is petrolatum. Now, I have no reason to think that that's not true. I mean, that, that seems reasonable to me. So therefore, essentially, this product is, you know, petrolatum <laughs> with, that's spiked with this, this uh, pawpaw extract, which whether it has any benefits or not is not really proven. I, I actually looked through the available research, um, and I wasn't able to find any special benefit that or impressive benefits that topical pawpaw would have. Uh, I did find that uh, it was helpful with treating tapeworms, though. So if you, oh. But that is ingesting it. So yeah, I'm, I was going to say, sure. where do you have to apply yeah. it to get that benefit? <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's ingesting. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure that's, that's not going to be very helpful on your skin, but um, there was that. Um, I will also caution that I did find some evidence that pawpaw ferment can cause irritation or allergic reactions. And so this is one of the problems that especially you have papaya extracts uh, and natural ingredients in general. Uh, you know, we evolved next to plants and plants evolved ingredients that could harm us. <laughs> I mean, some of them are, of course, are, are good for us, but they also can harm us. And so it's not surprising when you find reactions to natural extracts like that. Now, as far as this product goes, I'm sure this is a perfectly fine product. It's it's quaint. It's been around for a long time. It's got a nice story. I'm sure people's grandparents recommend it because it does provide benefits. I mean, that's all coming from the petrol atom. But, you know, there's the whole mystique that goes around with the historical product and the, the cutesy packaging that they have. And, you know, the fermenting process that they talk about adds to the allure because there's this mysterious process that they do. But I'd say from a functional standpoint, you're probably not going to get any benefit that you wouldn't just get over using petroleum jelly or, as I like to call, petrolatum. <laughs> you just aren't going to get the the nice story that goes along with it. And so if you like the story and all the packaging that goes along with it, yeah, you know, maybe you'd like to use the product. Yeah, well, I think part, part of it's mind over matter in using any product and maybe they're employing lots of people by harvesting this pawpaw extract. I don't know. But yeah, if you feel good using a product and you feel like it works and you're okay spending the money, keep using it and don't worry about the details of how it works. Yeah, absolutely. And if you do wonder about the details, we'll tell you it probably doesn't work any better than petrolatum. But I, actually, I did want to point out one other thing on this. This, uh, this company also makes these claims on their website about their product. They, they had this one paragraph that says, our product does not contain polyplacidone, polyvinylperolidone, talc, shellac, palm oil, glycerin, or sodium lauryl sulfate. It's too bad that the company has to resort to that sort of nonsense claims like you're not for a topical product. You're not going to put sodium lauryl sulfate on it. I mean, it's just not a topical ingredient, uh, and it's just sort of like chemical fear mongering. They say, "Oh, people don't like talc." Okay, talc is never going to be in the product anyway. Let's just say we don't have it in there. I'm like, you know, they don't. They also don't say that there's no uranium in it. So, do we have to worry about uranium <laughs> being in there? I don't, I don't know. I it's actually like, came across a, a hair care company in the U.S. that has, uh, I, I think it's called No Nothing, and they do a lot of no blank claims in the product. So, yeah, uh, someone handed it to me, and they were like, "How can they get away with saying all this stuff?" And it's like no sulfates, no parabens, 
no grandparents, no bad <laughs> hair days, no annoying coworkers. I'm not, I'm not making it up. It's all just really, really wow. bizarre stuff on my, on the packaging. Yeah. And I'm thinking, did you read this closely? Because it's just all garbage. So, but it's pretty impressive from a distance. You're like, wow, look at all that stuff. Well, at least they're kind of amusing about it because these free from claims or these no containing ones, I think they're just, they don't mean much to anybody, I don't think. Not at all. Well, let's go on to our next question. Hi, Perry. Hi, Valerie. This is Deepa from London. Hope you're well. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for a number of months and I love it. I think it's incredibly informative and humorous as well, which also helps um, my daughter, who's only four is also a fan so we have a little cosmetic scientist in the making potentially um my question to you is about beauty brands and cosmetical brands i don't know if that's the right term so for example estee lauder lancome versus say brands like zellens skinceuticals and I, I know there are so many of them out there, but some of them are, they call themselves cosmeceutical brands and they back their product by research. But isn't this also the case within, say, the likes of Estee Lauder or uh, Elizabeth Arden and Lancome and bigger, bigger companies like this? So I would love to hear what your thoughts are on this. I would love to hear whether this is just marketing, which I think it could be, because surely if one scientist has done the research and puts it out there for the world, then everyone can access that and then make their products depend well, well, to, to suit that. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for your time. Bye. Ugh, cosmeceutical. One of the most annoying terms on the planet, and it still just keeps hanging around after all this time. Well, because it sounds impressive and you hear people in the beauty industry use it all the time. Like... It's a way to make their products feel more special or efficacious than the products actually are. It's right up there with nutraceutical, right up there. Oh, well, yeah, that's another one. Well, it's interesting about the the term cosmeceuticals because the FDA must have had a lot of people asking about it because they actually have a page on their uh, website dedicated to the term cosmeceutical. Can we link that in the show? Yeah, Absolutely. Here's exactly what the FDA has to say about it. The term cosmeceutical, in air quotes, has no meaning under the law. While the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, FD&C Act, does not recognize the term cosmeceutical, the cosmetic industry uses this word to refer to cosmetic products that have medicinal or drug-like benefits. Yeah, everybody uses it in their own kind of way, you know? Mm -hmm. The FD&C Act defines drugs as those products that cure, treat, mitigate, or prevent disease, or that affect the structure or function of the human body. If a product makes such claims, it will be regulated as a drug. Cosmetics are intended to beautify, promote attractiveness, alter appearance, or cleanse. They are not approved by FDA for sale, nor are they intended to affect structure or function of the body. Which ties right in with that lawsuit that we were we talked about at the top of the show. Um, this is what people are suing them about because cosmetics are not allowed to get rid of wrinkles. They're they're not allowed. They're they're allowed to uh, improve the appearance of wrinkles, for example, but they're not allowed to get rid of wrinkles because that would make it a drug. Exactly, 
And this is how you know the term cosmeceutical is is bogus and just a marketing term, is that the sort of FDA, not really a definition, but the FDA says, hey, the industry uses this term to refer to something that has medicinal or drug-like benefits, but cosmetics legally aren't supposed to have medicinal or drug-like benefits. You know that it's not really a compliant product, and it's probably someone making a stretch on the marketing terms. Well, I, I do see big companies also using this term cosmeceutical because I think the term has sort of impinged the lexicon of the of society and people have just come to believe or accept that the term cosmeceutical is sort of like a cosmetic that works like a pharmaceutical, even though it's a made up term and it doesn't really refer to that, but it does sort of create <laughs> that it creates that image in a person's mind that it's actually doing that even though it's not legally allowed to do that. To, to me, the thing about cosmeceuticals is that it's since it's an unregulated word, anybody can mean whatever they want with it. And it could be, oh, it's a really good moisturizer. Let's call it a cosmeceutical. Put it in, uh, put it in white packaging and say that it was developed by a dermatologist. Hey, it's cosmeceutical, even though it's just a regular product. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the difference between a cosmeceutical and a standard product is probably nothing. It's probably just marketing, and it doesn't mean anything. All right, we ready for the next one? Let's cue it. Hi, Beauty Brains. This is Lisa from Portland, Maine. I have a question about nail polish. Does keeping nail polish on your nails help them to grow? I've heard that nail polish keeps the moisture locked in on your nail bed, thus aiding the ability for your nails to grow longer, faster. I also have a question about that gel nail polish that promises to strengthen and fortify your nails. Does that work? Thanks, Lisa. So this question addresses such a common myth that I hear perpetuated in the industry about nail polish all the time. In the nail polish nail relationship, there's not actually anything that nail polish can do to change the physiology of the nail plate as it's growing out of the nail bed. So nail polish can't provide nutrients to the nail. It can't intrinsically strengthen the nail. And by that, I mean it can't actually make the nail stronger. If you took the polish off, the nail is not going to be stronger. And it can't actually make your nails grow faster. All of those things are up to your body. So what in the heck is nail polish doing on your nail? Giving color? (laughs) Yeah, that, but also uh, nail polish can keep your nails from breaking. It does on its own provide some uh, strengthening layer. Uh, Nail polish is a polymer that cures to give a really hard surface. So when it adheres to your um, nail plate, it can help reinforce and and strengthen the nail in the sense that the nail's not actually stronger, but it's like wearing a cast on your leg. So it can Mm -hmm. help nails from breaking. And that's exactly how these companies get these strengthened nails and fortifies the nail claims. So as long as they can prove that the nails are not breaking as much and they're chipping less by wearing the nail polish, the nail therefore must be stronger and be fortified by the polish. That's actually all that clay means. It's not actually giving the nail itself the property of strength or locking in moisture. It's just preventing breakage. And when you have less breakage of your nail, you're certainly going to get longer nails because they're not breaking. And therefore you can say, hey, my nails are stronger, but it's actually uh, just the perception that the nail polish is providing 
uh, your nail is not actually stronger on its own. So uh, you can certainly use nail polish for less breakage, which will give you longer nails because they're not breaking, but just make sure you disregard any fancy marketing claims related to vitamins, fortification, or nail growth when it comes to the nail polish. And you can use nail polish for uh, color. <laughs> or color coding things in the house. You know, this This actually reminds me of those uh, hair strengthening claims. You always see, uh, like, make your hair 10 times stronger or three times stronger or whatever. And it's not actually making your hair stronger. It's just making your hair break less. At least that's how we used to support the claim. Exactly. Yeah, we had a robotic comb. And sure, if you... If you don't use a conditioner and you run a comb through hair, it's going to break a certain number of hairs. You put a conditioner on there, you run the same robot through, and it breaks less hairs. We called that strengthening. Uh, it wasn't really stronger, but it just makes it seem like it's stronger. That's why it's really important to pay attention to the claims. And if you have anything you're not sure of, shoot us a question, and we'll demystify that for you. Let me cue up the next question. Hello, Beauty Brains. Uh, my name is Charlotte from Denver, Colorado, and I want to first say thank you so much for such an interesting podcast. Um, I really enjoyed learning so much about skincare, and I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to put on this podcast. So thank you. Um, my question is about copper peptides. I keep seeing this ingredient in various serums and lotions and whatnot. And I'm just curious if copper peptides are an effective anti-aging uh, ingredient, if they actually are an ingredient that I should include in my skincare regimen. And then I also have a question about this term called uh, copper peptide uglies. I've just come across that. And from my understanding, it's yeah, people report that copper peptides can actually have the opposite effect and make their skin appear more aged and uh, sort of wrinkled, for lack of a better word. So I'm just curious about that. Um, and I'd love, to, love your guys' input and, and what you guys think. Thanks so much. Thanks, for Charlotte, for the question. We actually covered peptides way back before Valerie was on the show on episode 55. I was just a baby. <laughs> yeah, back then. I encourage you guys to go check that out. But just as a as reference there, uh, copper peptides that she was asking about, these are uh, carrier or signaling peptides. And peptides essentially are just little sequences of amino acids, and they have pieces attached to them. In this case, uh, copper is attached to this. S signaling peptides or carrier peptides uh, deliver trace elements like copper or magnesium. In biochemistry, they actually can participate in the repair and other wound repairing and other enzymatic processes. The trace elements have also been shown to uh, improve pro-collagen synthesis, the elasticity of skin, and the overall appearance of skin. Uh, for example, there's a copper complex uh, called the lanin gel, which is made up of the amino acids glycine, histamine, and lysine. And it's used to as a treatment for uh, diabetic neuropathic ulcers. And this type of peptide is sometimes called a penetrating peptide or a, a membrane transduction peptide. So these peptides actually, in medicine, they do actually have a function. As far as cosmetics go, you've heard our discussion today about whether cosmetics can be drugs or not. And if the reality is if these, if these peptides actually worked... 
the way that they're described in in medicine that would make these products that use them to to be illegal drugs, right? Exactly. Now, I did look at the research on peptides, and there is actually a lot of research that has been published, uh, and even some good things like double-blind placebo-controlled studies. Uh, There are a number of things that peptides, specifically copper peptides, have been found to do. They will degrade uh, sections of extra-large collagen, so for areas that are for have scars, they're shown to reduce the appearance of the scars. They can promote the synthesis of collagen. They promote the production of elastin. They are also promote the growth and the mitigation of different types of skin cells. They have an anti-inflammatory response and an anti-antioxidant response. You know, all the things that you hear about in skincare products. So the the one problem, though, is if, if you're using a cosmetic that has put in a functional level of these things, you wouldn't you wouldn't really know it because if it is working to do that and it's doing that on your skin, like I said, that would be illegal. Now they wouldn't they won't claim that it's doing any of these things specifically because that will get called out, but they might say something just something more general like anti-aging. Now I was impressed with the number of double blind studies that showed there was a benefit to using copper peptides versus a placebo control. For example, the GHK copper peptide improved skin laxity, clarity, and the appearance, and also reduced fine lines, coarse wrinkles, and mottled hyperpigmentation, and it increased skin density and thickness. So it, in this study, it, the copper peptide was doing a lot. There was another one where it compared a copper peptide to a vitamin K cream. And in that case, the peptide improved fine lines, improved the look of wrinkles, skin thickness, uh, viscoelasticity, and the overall appearance of the eyelids. So this is a product done around the eyes. So compared to, say, like a vitamin K product, uh, it'll probably have a benefit there, at least according to this study. Although it didn't say anything about using your copper peptides on hickeys. (laughs) Yes, the the hickey away product. (laughs) I think we're going to work on that. Of course, uh, you know, just because something beats a placebo doesn't necessarily mean that the placebo was any good, right? Now, I didn't get to see what the control product was, but usually what a company is going to do when you're testing a new technology is you want to make a placebo that that doesn't really work that great. And then when you put your technology in there and you can show it improves it over what the placebo was, then you can say, hey, look, it made it work. That's The problem always is, is like, Consumers aren't going to use that original placebo. They're going to use the best technology out there. And it's very rare that you see a new technology compared to the best technology because it's just that much more difficult to show any improvement at all. Exactly. When you're you're spending all this money as a company to invest in claims testing, you don't want that money to go to waste and you want to show the product is doing something. So you figure out like, hey, what shows practically nothing what what's the worst case scenario and then let me use this product and maybe it is or isn't because of this ingredient usually it's not because of an ingredient usually it's because of the whole the whole system and you can show these really measurable numbers but when you look at how the study was conducted and most big companies put it in fine print always important to read the fine print you can say wow that's that's really not that impressive but most people just look at the big numbers like, wow, 84% reduction, and they don't look that it was compared to using nothing. 
So should you include copper peptides as you asked? You know, I don't know. You might find that copper peptides are helpful. You might get some benefit out of it based on the studies that I saw. Although I doubt that you as a consumer will really notice much benefit from it because this is a thing that's not going to give you an immediate benefit. If you get any benefit, it'll be over the course of a month or two months. And you might get a benefit, but if you were just using a good moisturizer, you might not notice any benefit anyway, right? So I don't know if it's, it's, I guess it's worth trying. It's, it's one of those technologies which has more evidence behind it than a lot of the other technologies they say as, uh, as anti-aging. On the other hand, you're still probably not going to be much better than a, just a standard moisturizer. Yeah, and if you ask the suppliers of these copper peptides, which actually I've done in the past, they get really on the offensive about just how amazing the technology is, and uh, they're really big believers in it. And usually I don't ever feel attacked by a raw material supplier per se when, when you just ask them about the studies, but I would say the producers of these types of materials are really big believers, and, and they really stand behind what the product does, and I think that does say a little bit something. Usually, you know, the salespeople are kind of like, well, eh, eh, you're right. Uh, but th th these uh, manufacturers, salespeople uh, that I have countered on this really believe in this technology. So, uh, but that being said, you know, it's a long-term payoff. And are you going to notice it or remember it? I don't know. And as far as those, the uglies that you asked about, I, I couldn't find any evidence of that really either. I mean, I suppose if these things did degrade collagen, then they have the potential to cause problems if there's if you're going to do overuse. You know, I'm just not convinced by anything that I saw uh, in the published literature that that's going to happen to you in practice, especially if you're using it when delivered from a good moisturizer. So it's probably not something you have to worry about. All right. Thanks so much, Perry, for digging into that. Let's get to our last audio question. Hi, Beauty Brains. I have a question regarding the use of an ingredient called Shika Kai as an Ayurvedic treatment for hair. There are a lot of DIY recipes out there for using this on your hair for a shampoo, a mask, um, or a rinse. I've never tried it, but recently became curious about it when I saw a video on YouTube where the user had gotten some in her eye and had to go to the emergency room. Is there any research on this being an effective treatment, and is there any research on its safety? Thanks. All right, our last question. Thank you so much for that. It does talk about hair, so I am really happy to jump on this one. So, the extract that our uh, listener was talking about is from the Acacia Consina fruit extract. Uh, it's a low shrub, uh, predominant in India, and it's been used by Indian women for generations in their hair care routines due to the high antioxidant content. Uh, this extract also contains saponins, which is maybe why it's used for cleansing um, in addition to conditioning of the hair. So the People take the pod, which contains the fruit, they remove it from the shrub, they thoroughly dry it, and then they pulverize it into a powder, or they boil the pod and take the uh, the water that's left over and apply it to their hair. If they take it dry, they actually re-wet the powder and turn it into a paste and apply that, let it soak into the hair. And this extract is known for 
and we'll get into why I'm just saying, oh, it's known for this. Uh, it's known for promoting hair growth and preventing dandruff and leaving the hair really shiny and in good condition. And in fact, the name of the fruit, uh, Shika Kai, actually translates into fruit for the hair, according to one source that I found. So it's really predominantly predominantly used for hair protection. So the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board has actually reviewed the safety um, of acacia extracts in general, and this extract was mentioned in their studies. And they've reported that brands actually use this uh, specific species, uh, Concina, for cleansing, stimulating, and astringent properties, where the astringent properties provide toning of the scalp and conditioning of the hair. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot of other literature on this fruit. Uh, most of the benefits that are spoken to in terms of hair are based on folklore, and I feel like most brands or people ignore the genetic propensity that Indian women have to be born with strong and lustrous hair. So uh, I did find a couple studies, and I'll, I'll talk about them. So there's actually one study done, done in the Journal of Cosmetic Science I, to be honest, was very surprised uh, by a botany research group in India on whether or not shikakai, amongst other oils, could prevent the proliferation of two different fungi into the hair fiber. I thought that was actually kind of a cool study. So basically what they did is yeah. they coated hair fibers with different oils and they measured the time frame and penetration percentage into the hair fiber of these two specific fungi and they uh, measured which oils were best at preventing the penetration. And unfortunately, this uh, oil did not do very good. Um, in this case, they actually took the oil from the seed uh, from this plant, not the extract. It uh, actually favored fungi penetration, so didn't do very oops. well. So, yeah, <laughs> oops. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the second study I found... Um, and it sounds like I found a bunch and I chose to read these two. I actually literally spent a ton of time looking for real scientific literature and only found uh, these two studies. There were lots of anecdotal evidence, uh, but uh, I'm not an anecdotalist. I'm a, a scientist. So uh, the second study was actually in a medical journal, the International Journal of Dermatology, and the author had a patient that came in. They were also in India. And the patient had an extremely large stony mass in their hair. And it turns out uh, the patient stony had mass. used... <laughs> yes. Had used okay. an herbal soap that... Sounds heavy. That sounds sounds heavy. It was... Uh, the woman was actually in a lot of pain. And she was extremely oh. embarrassed and she came in and she said, hey, look, I washed my hair with this herbal soap and it contained this extract to make my hair beautiful. And after a few hours of washing my hair with it, I noticed my hair started to become a dreadlock and um, it eventually like basically covered the whole back of her hair and it was so dreadlocked, the hair was as hard as a stone and it was actually kind of uh, funny. The author noted that like this woman didn't want to admit to using this soap. It was just like so weird. I don't know what happened. And then it was like, just kidding. I used this soap. And within three hours, um, the matted hair that she had was so dreadlocked um, that they had to cut it off. 
And wow. they weren't able to actually determine that it came from the extract um, in her hair. Uh, but the article did say that women in India, again, where the authors are located, it's very common for them to boil this extract or to apply it as a paste to their hair because presumably it keeps the hair soft, black, and shiny. So the authors didn't really say more than that. So anyway, those are the only two scientific papers I could find. Uh, but there was a YouTube video that the our listener who provided the question did give us where, and I'm like still laughing from it. Um, um, yeah. Do you remember this video? Yeah. Very, yeah. So, I, I do, yeah. So basically this user made her own mask with this extract and she got it in her eye and then she had to go to the emergency room. And so I don't think that's very good proof uh, that you should be using this extract. Um, no. It could also show that unless you really know what you're doing, you probably shouldn't be making your own products. But at the end of the day, that's true too, yeah. I really couldn't find any proven benefits to doing a mask yourself containing shikakai as a treatment. All the benefits I did find are based on folklore or hearsay. So I would really just recommend sticking to conventional products that have been widely studied for safety and efficacy and have a proven benefit on the hair. I think that's good advice just in general. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, people like the DIY stuff and make their own cosmetics and they like natural stuff. Uh, which is all great and all, but if you want products that work and that are safety tested, you know, stick to the stuff you can get at the store. All right, Perry, that's all the time we have today to our loyal oh, audience. Oh, it's over already? We're it's at the end, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to our loyal audience, thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, go over to iTunes and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Well, speaking of beauty questions, if you wanted to answer, uh, ask a question, just click on the link in the show notes and record one on your phone, uh, and you can send it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Uh, as you can hear from this wonderful show today, we, we do like all of the uh, voices from around the world. Uh, so if you have, a, have an audio question, we, will, we preferentially like to put those on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. We also have a Patreon, which uh, we're still working on building up. But if you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe there. Thank you, everyone, again, for listening to the show. Thank you for your patience with my dogs clacking around and sighing. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Oh.